Right, apologies if this sounds a little bit strange, because it is strange. It's a while since we've done one of these podcast things, but the grand old podcast is back 98 days later for episode number 106. I am Hamish. John, say hello. All right, Hamish, how's, how's it going? It's good to be back on a audio format. A lot has happened since we last did a podcast. Paul has gone AWOL. That's not really anything new, if we're honest. So we've drafted in Stevie from the wonderfully titled Glasgow's Green podcast, or aka GigPod. Hi, Stevie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And I'd just like to say it's a shame that Paul's away. <laughs> it is. Is it, is it bowling season, John? What's the script there? Uh, I think Paul's getting married, so I've heard that's, that's the rumour in the... That's the rumour going around anyway. I think uh, he's preparing for his marriage and uh, I believe this weekend is his f- fourth or fifth stag do. Um, mm. so, yeah, that's... How, many have, how many have we been invited to? I think we were invited to two. <laughs> I must <laughs> have missed that invite. Well, there was the first one that went all pear-shaped and then there was the second one in Glasgow. Oh yeah, that was that was COVID time. Anyway, the listeners don't care much about this guy, so let's move on to stuff they do care about, which is Celtic, because there's a fair bit to chat about. Uh, we probably hadn't even heard of Ange Postecoglou the last time we did a podcast. Yeah. We're very much in Eddie Howe mode. Um, Postecoglou has come in. He's even signed some players. Mm-hmm. We've even played four matches, all preseason games. We'll have a bit of a chat, maybe about them first and then move on to transfer news and then just anything else that happens. Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, first of all, maybe... I mean, for me, I, I've i not really spoken about this and I've not really heard you guys' opinion on it either. But what's your you guys' like initial vibe of Ange? Like, what's your opinion of him as a guy, how he handles himself? How, what's your gut feeling on him so far? Stevie, what about you? What's that with you? I do like the vibe I get off him. I think he comes across as a serious man. But also, you know, a professional man as well who doesn't seem like the type of man that is going to be... He seems like a man that's going to be taking responsibility, which is what I like. Um, it seems to me like I'm just going to be one of these types of people, like your past manager, who whenever things aren't going so well, he's still going to deflect and he's going to use other people to fling under a bus, that favourite term that we always used every week last season. But it was true and that's what happened. And... I do. Th- I get the impression with Ange that he is going to take responsibility. It's going to be on him, and he's not going to, you know, turn around and deflate things and say, "Oh no, it was his fault. It's 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 it's, it's up above me's fault." I think Ange is going to come in um, and take things very seriously. And you can already tell that the day I believe he came out saying we the Christopher Isle situation, mm-hmm. um, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't footing about and mincing his words. He just said, "Look, if." Chris Hyder doesn't want to be here. I can't waste time on that. I've got to think about the players that are already here. Rather than making that a drama, because we all know a type of manager that would have made that a drama. He didn't. He just he just get right on with it and I liked that. And he was just yeah. speaking boldly and fair play to him. I like that man. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Because it's like it's the kind of thing that would would have perhaps been used to veil the performance yesterday or the result, even though it was a friendly by pa- <laughs> we're just referring to Neil Lennon as past manager these days. Um but yeah, I like that he's honest, and I, I like that he just doesn't really—he's not really bothered about how how he sounds. It's just about what he says, really, and I think that's a good thing. And you know, I, you know, that kind of honesty for some people, I think, will be a bit jarring to begin with, because I think people in Scottish football they're so used to kind of PR waffle and just kind of sound bites and the same old, same old 
um, especially in response to the types of questions they get. But I think Ange just cuts through all that at the moment, and that's what I'm picking up from him, at least, you know, seen some daft chat today about how he, he was kind of, he, yeah. he didn't, I don't even want to repeat it, but there was people who weren't really happy with his interview yesterday, and I just thought it was ridiculous because I thought he just cut straight to the point. Hamish, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I said, the thing I took away from that fan media press conference we had, the one with Postacoglu and Dom Mackay, I think mm-hmm. it's three three weeks or so ago, the, the main thing I took away from that, or one of the main things, was that, that Postacoglu is far more comfortable on the training ground barking instructions at mm-hmm. Barky and co than he is in the actual media environment. And I called that right from the start. Um, he, I wouldn't say that he... he doesn't enjoy the media part of it, but it's certainly not where he's most comfortable. So I wouldn't read much into what he's actually, mm-hmm. how he comes across in the media. You're right to pick up on those those daft, daft comments. A lot of them from the other side of Glasgow saying that he looked a beaten man and he'd be away by Christmas. I'll judge him on what happens during matches rather than how his press conferences go. I, I think he's come across as a, a pretty good leader so far. Um, he's clearly a leader. He's not a yes man as some people have you know, stupidly commented and, you know, he's a guy who's going to do everything he can for Celtic and he's going to bring, and he probably already has brought high standards that have been lacking at the club since Brendan Rodgers left. Now, whether he's as good a coach as Brendan Rodgers, not many are, if we're totally honest, but he's certainly an improvement on the guy, uh, the previous manager, as we're calling him. Now we've got that out of the way, we can Mm -hmm. chat a little bit about the games. We played two in Wales at the start. We beat Sheffield Wednesday by three goals to one and then Charlton by two goals to one. It was all going well at that stage. We've not scored a goal since in our last two matches. We had that 0-0 draw against Bristol City at their training ground and then lost 1-0 to Preston North End in front of 2,000 fans at Celtic Park on Saturday. We've got Mecheland on Tuesday, then eight days later in Denmark as well. West Ham between those matches, and then we're into the real league action against Hearts. Who has stood out for us so far, Stevie? Mm. Has any player surprised you that you maybe weren't expecting? No, not as such. It's very, very difficult to take anything from any pre-season, though, to be honest with you, Hamish. And I'm... That type of Celtic fan where I, I genuinely don't read anything into it. It's just, I mean, I've always been pretty consistent that way. I've, you guys have known me in the group chat with me if I were talking about these games. I don't blow up if we mm. win a game 4-0 or something. I don't start greeting if we lose, say, 5-0 in pre-season. It's really not important to me. Um, all it is is just about and familiarising himself and what players I can trust, what players I can't trust, what players' positions are the strongest and where aren't. What I will say, the most encouraging sign, um, I'm just waiting contradicting myself there, but the most encouraging <laughs> sign I would say is you guys know that I am a I am a big firm believer in Vasilis Barkas. I think he mm-hmm. can contribute big time for us this season. I think last season he was treated absolutely shockingly by not just Celtic field him as a whole, and if we're really yeah. honest, but the amount of supporters that just uh, lumped on him and just said, this guy looks like a weirdo and somehow that just stuck into mm-hmm. this guy's no a keeper. He was a Greek international and he's played in, at the top level. And I feel that in pre-season, uh, especially yesterday too, Vasilis Barkas was very impressive. And I really hope we go into next season with him as an established number one 
full of confidence with a settled defence in front of him. None of us getting defenders in after we've got, you know, crashed out of qualifiers. We want to get the best settled defence in before them or as soon as possible before the Hearts game. And that's what he needs. Um, and I do feel if we can get that done, I think you're going to see exactly why we paid £5 million for him. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. Uh, that's actually interesting because I remember the Gigpod episode you did about foreign players coming to Celtic and how Celtic should be doing more to integrate them. Um, and I think whatever Celtic have been doing with foreign players, I think was exposed by the pandemic. And, you know, in a way, um, that that was difficult to, to overcome, to kind of adjust and change exactly what you're doing. But I, I do agree. I think there was a, a duty of care thing with, with some of these players coming into the club last season that we failed them in some manner. Um, and I'm hoping that we see the best of Barkas like yourself. I think I think he is looking more confident, at least. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I did agree with the majority of people on last season is that he just never looked like he wanted to be playing. Like, he never, he, he genuinely never looked comfortable as a Celtic goalkeeper last season, and, and that was maybe my big concern about it. But I think from the, the, the few times we've seen him in pre-season, he at least looks like he's part of the group. He looks at least looks like he wants to get involved in the game. And we know Ange's going to push these keepers up the pitch, so we need someone with that confidence, someone who likes to play with the ball at his feet. Um, so, yeah, I'm encouraged by Barkas. In terms of our players, Hamish, no one really else. I mean, I, I like the look of young Adam Montgomery. I think he's got a good attitude. He's not a left winger, though. No, no, I don't think he's a winger. No, I think he could be a left back, though. And it's strange that we're kind of pushing him forward there. But, um, you know, in terms of preseason in general, I mean, I missed the Sheffield Wednesday game, so I can't comment on that. The, the most encouraged I've been so far, and again, I agree with Stevie, you can't read too much into it, but it was the first half against Charlton, um, where that, that was the, the, the most we've looked like a cohesive unit throughout the whole thing, and it's the most that I saw a change of, of tactics or style or something from last season. I thought there was a lot of one and two touch passing football. Um, and it really looked like a, a different kind of Celtic team. I know it was it was effectively a training game. I know that was Charlton's first preseason match. So there's an element of them standing off, etc. But that was the the first time that I, I, kind of the only time that I saw that kind of Ange's imprint on the team. I didn't really see that against Bristol City. And I didn't see it against Preston. Um, so I think that's something that Ange still needs to hammer into the team. But I mean, we're going to find out on Tuesday. It's a massive test. Yeah, I think this is my yearly time to mention that the best pre-season Celtic have ever had, I think, was 2011 under Tony Mowbray when we beat everyone, won the Wembley Cup, beat Spurs with a reserve team and then went on to have a completely disastrous season. So pre-season doesn't mean much at all. We're going to come on to transfers in a wee minute. Just interesting there when you were both chatting about foreign players coming to the club and maybe not settling in. It is something that has kind of leapt out uh, to me, in terms of our transfer activity or our reported transfer activity so far this summer, we are signing players from all over. We've got a Japanese player coming in. We're looking at a player who's currently playing in Russia. We've got guys coming from Israel. Um, you know, We're looking at a number of players from France, reportedly. And we've got a manager from the other side of the world. And we need these guys to gel quite quickly, both individually and as a team, and we don't have a lot of other options if the likes of uh, Furuhashi and Abada don't settle in. We're, we're kind of, in a way, hanging our hat in these players. Yeah. And they're coming from Israel and Japan. It's uh, it's not a foregone conclusion that these guys will do well. No, but as, as promised, though, I mean, that, that's what Andrew and Dom said. And, and basically in that first media conference, they said they'd be 
scouring the world for global football talent. And it sounds big and grand at the time, and you know, and you can you can take the piss out of it or whatever. But you know, we've brought in what the best player in the J League right now, which I think is a really positive step. And there's going to be an element of these guys adjusting to, to life in Scotland. But again, I've just spoken about this before as, as well, you know, and obviously we've been reading basically everything he's ever said since he arrived at Celtic. And, and one of the interviews he gave, I think it was with the the, pre, the written press, I think it was one of those sessions. And he was basically saying that he's used to that kind of integration from his time in Japan, etc. because I think they had a lot of Brazilian players so, I mean, moving from Brazil to Japan's obviously probably quite a culture shock. Obviously, Ange has experience of moving from Australia to Japan himself. So I think he can help with these kind of things. And I think that, you know, he'll know what kind of processes we need to put in place to, to help these players adjust to life in Scotland. It might require more staff. You know, we, we've still not really appointed anyone in, in, in the backroom staff at Celtic. And I'm not talking about assistant coaches or whatever. It might, it might require more support staff. I, th- I actually trust that Angel know what, what kind of thing we need there. Uh, at least I'm encouraged. Stevie, do you have any concerns about the global aspect of the transfers? No, not really. Simply because I think the biggest sort of culture shock for a footballer to come to Scotland, I would say, was Lukashin Sukunakimura at the time. Yeah. Back in 2005, and I remember that people were saying this guy, he was in Serie A at Regina at the time, but obviously a J- Japanese international, and even Serie A back then wasn't as blood and snorters, if you will, um, compared to you know our league. But Shinsuke Nakamura settled in very, very quickly, uh, and he had the right sort of personnel round about him as well. And I honestly feel that it's, it's okay. You sort of send off that. Um, for the hash you got today, uh, mm. it was like a, quite an emotional one, and it was quite uh, it was tugging at the heartstrings and all that. Mm. And he's going to go from that type of sort of culture in Japan, coming to the first game in Tynecastle after five minutes, where Michael Smith will volley him in the air, mm. and you'll get a or the Tynecastle faithful just be roaring and going yes. So that's obviously going to come, and you're going to have to take that into account. But I don't think if you're a professional footballer, and I hopefully Celtic have learned the lessons of the past, John, where we. As I've mentioned before, with the duty of care, hopefully under the new regime, Ange will, and uh, Dominic McKay and the rest of the staff at the club as well, John, will start looking after these players. And they're not going to be expected to hit the ground running after a couple of you know games and be a superstar either. They're going to have to be allowed to bed in and everything. And I just think it's the same with the manager. I don't think they can fully be judged on this season. I'm willing to give Ange a second season to get it right yeah. if... If it comes, you know, and I said that in our group chat that we talk about too, that I don't think, regardless this season, because of the amount of good work that Brendan Rodgers built up that was undone by Neil Lennon, that's what Ange is coming into fix. So that's going to take more than a season. Um, and there's absolutely no concerns with myself about if we signed a player from, say, Presswick, or we signed a player from the other side of the globe. I think there's Hamish getting his wee nod in there. But it doesn't matter. As long as the player's professional and they've got the right attitude for the club and they want to succeed, I think that's all that matters, to be honest, John. Yeah, I mean, that, see, that, that farewell ceremony was interesting, actually, because, I mean, I actually really I really like that kind of respect culture that Japanese people have. But, you know, the first thing, one of the first things that I thought when I saw it was Kieran Tierney's exit from Celtic. And, you know, Celtic fans just basically calling him a rat and he's, he's a bastard. And there you have... Furuhashi getting a full send off 
people turning up at the stadium, people greeting Iniesta nearly in tears, and it's just a totally different culture. I mean, that is just completely sums up the, the differences in the culture here. There's an expectancy about footballers here that I don't think Furuhashi will have experienced before, but I mean, I mean that's all part of it. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. My main point was that something has to change at the club because if you look the last few years, the, the vast majority of the good signings we've made have been from Scottish teams, think David Turnbull, or they've been from English teams, the likes of Fraser Forster, mm-hmm. El Yunusi, Frimpong. A lot of the players have signed from uh, Ukraine and Poland and Slovakia haven't worked out. So something has to change at the club. It's, it's all well and good having this idea of scouring the world to bring players in, but th- th- something has to have changed at the club to allow these players to bed in. Now, I know we're out of the, or we're getting out of the woods with regards to the pandemic. So hopefully it's easier for players to acclimatize to Glasgow, have a social life, etc. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting time indeed. I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. See, see, see that getting out thing. That's a big part of it because I mean it's been it's been rubbish for us, and, and we live here, and we we got people around us. We know. Imagine you. I mean, imagine you were stuck in Italy last year in, in a flat and had nothing to do. I mean, that would be a nightmare. You would be feel isolated, and you'd f- probably feel a bit scared about everything. Like, and I remember. And and I always have to remember now nowadays anyway it's maybe different for you Hamish but all these guys that play for Celtic are younger than me now it's it's different when it's kind of like you're 21 and you're slagging a 21 year old but if I slag a 21 year old now I feel a, a strong element of guilt because it's just it's a different world these guys are young people coming into a club and it's it's difficult for them to adjust so yeah I, I agree the, the club need to do more in, in that respect. Speaking of young people, we signed a couple from Sheffield Wednesday. Liam Shaw, that deal was agreed back in March, probably round about when we last did one of these podcasts. And Asazi Uruguide also coming in from Sheffield Wednesday for, I believe, roughly £200,000 in compensation. Joining them uh, middle of last week was Lil Abada, the 19-year-old Israeli winger, £3.5 million he cost from Maccabi Peta Tikva. And the aforementioned Kyogo Furuhashi, roughly £5 million, I think, from Vissel Kobe signing a four-year contract. We've also signed a few B-team players, Joey Dawson from Scunthorpe and Boston Lowell from Watford. No relation to Peter, but I do believe he scored on Saturday for the B-team. Am I right in saying that? I think I saw yeah, he a video. Did. He scored. It was a 2-1 defeat, but he scored aye. Excellent. Carol Starfelt from Ruben Kazan has reportedly done... Uh, and a number of fullbacks have been mentioned as well. Brandon uh, Soppe. Yep. Yeah, Brandon Soppe. Boyne, who's, who's the Portuguese one? Um, Aurelio Buta, I think is his I like name. I look at him. Off the top of my head. What, what do we think of Fabrizio Romano, by the way? Well, he suddenly got involved in <laughs> He's Celtic obsessed. Legend. He's obsessed. Rain what's your thoughts on him? Is he attention seeker or is he No, I think, I think he's class. He's got like 3 million followers and that. And yeah, okay. Followers aren't everything, as we know, John. Um, but I think Fabrizio <laughs> Romano is the real deal. In fact, I titled him Fabrizio Cocky Romano after the 2001 flop starring Chris Payne. But... I have to say, he is class, he's brilliant, and I just love the fact that he broke something like 18 hours before, uh, I think, big, it was a big Raman, then it was like a day later or something, and then I remember we just were having, ripping him for it, just saying, oh, there's the Falklands been invaded, so <laughs> if, if Fabrizio Romano can come in and, you know, stir up a bit of part in the Scottish football world, you, then you that's great, I'm all for it. See, see if I was Celtic, 
I I would be I would be Romano would be my go to guy now. Like I would I would just totally bypass the record and STV and anyone if I wanted to get someone out there because I think it's good promotion for the club. I Definitely. think if if you know as you say, Stevie, there's a whole generation of guys that just worship this Fabrizio Romano guy. He's got three million followers. If you're getting Celtic out there, it makes you look like a big club because he's covering. Man United, he's covering Roma, he's covering all these clubs. When he starts mixing in Celtic, it's it's, it's fairly exciting. It's good because, I mean, I love a transfer rumour, as you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not snobby about it. I, I actually, I love all the speculation. So um, the more of that, the better for me. I think, you know, what's so great about it? He's just dead passionate about it too. There's no agenda. There's no sneering. Yeah, he is um, just out there just saying what's happening and all that. And he's not trying to wind anyone up. He's just... It's quite simply having a good one, and that's all we want to do in life, isn't it, John? I think you lads are getting a bit deep on a guy who literally tweets Celtic are going to sign a player. I mean, it's his job. Come on, lads! But honestly, I don't though, mind him. You see, he puts out a tweet, and he's got like two thousand people replying to it within about five minutes. There's guys he, worship this guy. There's whole accounts dedicated to him. And there's, there's hundreds, also, hundreds in the replies, or any update on Canty, any update on Paul exactly. Pogba, we fourteen-year-old guys. And that's where he should be saying, actually, I think Celtic are interested. And look, if Celtic would get more attention, it would be class. Right. Okay. Well, what what Fabrizio Romano rumour are you most excited about then? What what do we think of Carol Starfelt? Is is he going to be a good player for us? Is he the kind of player we should be bringing in, Stevie? Well, apparently there was a Rangers fan that um, spent his day off last week compiling all the video clips of him having a shocker. So, nah, it would seem that Carl Starfelt is not the player we should be going for, apparently. Nah, but realistically, again, I've not seen him play. I've not I've not seen him in, in, in action whatsoever. 26 um, plays for Ruben Kazan, and when I have seen Ruben Kazan, I've seen them once, Hamish, in real life against CSK Moscow, and it was honestly one of the worst games of football I've ever been involved in. But he wasn't involved in that game, thankfully. But there's... <laughs> A lot of people I've seen are coming out saying, how can we go after this guy? He's not in the Sweden team. And I'm like, and what is that really? Is that to be on end all when it comes to being in the Sweden team? Greatest respect to Mikael Lustig, but he was been underperforming for years and he was still in the Sweden team. Would you have him over Starfelt? I don't think so. I don't think you can read too much into that. And I think a lot of fans have been drama queens there. Well, I spoke to a journalist in Sweden uh, for the Six Seven Hill Hill YouTube channel and, and he said that Starfelt not being in the Sweden squad for Euro 2020 was one of the major talking points in that country that a lot of people felt that he and there was another player, I think, playing in Sweden um, that that should have been included in the squad. So a lot of people in Sweden did feel that he should have been playing at that. And when you see someone like uh, Hellander from Rangers in the squad, you do wonder what's going on. Um, I think he was the player who made more appearances than anyone else in the Ruben Kazan squad last season. They finished fourth in the Russian top flight. So they may not be one of the biggest clubs in Russia in, you know, in terms of history, although recent history they've been good, but they are one of the top clubs. And if we're going in for a player who's played you know, virtually every game for the team that finished fourth in the Russian Premier League last season, uh, who Swedish people think should be in their national team, and we're getting them for £5 million, I don't think we can argue with that too much in the face of it. It's the it's the profile of signing that you would you would probably want. I mean, I've not really seen any of these players play. I mean, I've seen Furuhashi. I watched I watched his last game um, in full live, and he looks a very good technical player. I mean, the, the goal that he scored he scored in his last game 
mm. was pretty good. You know, it was kind of he took he took the ball deep. He, he seems to be coming deep a lot more more like Edward than you know like a an out and out poacher attacker. Comes deep, plays a one two with with the with his teammate, drives into the box, and kind of he's got that he's got that technical aspect to his shot taken that you you like to see. Um, he doesn't just blast that. You know, he's he looks like he's got a cultured shot on him. So, I mean, I really like the look of Furuhashi. I'm I'm really into that signing. Um, a hundred percent on board with. It. I think he could be a really good player for us. But yeah, as for Staffel and Soppy, I really don't know about them to be honest. I'd just be bullshitting. No, I do have to say this transfer window where we're buying in a lot of players that we might not have heard of and everything as well. It's not quite a bad thing because. 2010-2011 season, you know, we brought in guys at the time, Kayao was great, Izagiri was great, we hadn't heard the really phrase of Foster either, and the guys all did a, a turn for us, certainly in the first couple F. of seasons. With us. Key. Well, okay, fine. We all knew um, Key and Chadri though from the World Cup that year. Yeah. The worst World Cup in history, of course. But, as I'm saying, I know we're going with, you could call it a scattergun approach and buying players from, you know, buying these players maybe a lot of fans haven't heard of firsthand, but that isn't always a bad thing. And I, I remember at the time when Neil Lennon took over, um, when we were seeing guys like Kayao, Izagiri and Foster, I'm like, where are we not going for? The more established players, if you remember, we were <laughs> rumoured to be getting, uh, I think it was David James and Jimmy Bullard, Bullard. that season. Yeah. He was a striker as well, Bothroyd, wasn't it? Ah, I think you could be right, Hamish. And the fact is that that season probably would have been disastrous if we got the established players in and we got the unknowns in. We let them gelled uh, the second half of that season, if you remember. Celtic were fantastic Brilliant. and so, so unlucky to lose the league. Just stupid decision making up at Inverness beforehand but hopefully we can have you know that type of similar way outcome um, where all the players at least are gelling um, and they can maybe do it quicker this season than it took the six months or so to do it under Neil Lennon that season Yeah, I mean there's there's a kind of growing trend I'm noticing in the Celtic support of you know this isn't Ange's fault, we're back in Ange but he's not been given the tools to do this job correctly mm. and I, I, I mean time may prove this to be incorrect but I'm not Sure, I totally agree at the moment. Now, I know when we're a couple of days away from Eacheland and we're literally looking at a defence of like Ralston, Welsh, Urigidi and, and Greg Taylor, it's not great. But for me, there's surefire signs that the board, while they may not quite have backed Ange totally yet, I think there's signs that they certainly are. And if we get some of the players we've been linked with, you know, if we bring in Starfelt, I think we've already spent like 14 million or something, which is basically what we spent the whole of last year. We'll wait and see what happens with, with Christopher Iyer and Edward. We'll probably come on to that next. Um, but for me, there are signs that the board are backing Ange big time here. They're bringing in players that I think Ange would have wanted to bring in. That certainly seems the case. Yeah, it's difficult. See, it's weird right now, right? Because you think you've got all these different boxes where you put your hopes and grievances and it's hard to separate them and, and come up with a cohesive message on how you're feeling about Celtic. I think for me, there's obvious, like, I think the people who are concerned about the state of the squad and the fact and are raging at the board and whatever for not having us better prepared for Mitchell and I think are, are spot on. You know, I think there's, I mean, we've talk, talked about it in private and in public plenty of times, but for us, there are, you know, for, on the wall, was on the wall for Lennon, after the Ferns Varus game last August. I mean, the club have really had since then to kind of put in place the future of Celtic and they, they balls that big time. I, there's no way you can deny that for me. I think that's, that's a spot on assessment. And 
and how angry you are about that is is you know based on how much you're wanting to move on and have some sort of hope because I do have hope in Ange and I, I do back him I do like him and I think all the things you guys have said about him tonight are, are true and I think he's a guy that we, we, we can follow and feel proud of at the moment and so it's how you weigh up those two boxes. I mean, are you more raging or are you more hopeful? For me, as I've said before, I'm, I'm really sick of being angry about Celtic, and I just want just want us to do well. So I'm kind of putting all that past stuff behind me now, and just kind of thinking about hey, we're in the here and now, and just talking about day to day improvement, and just talking about transfers in the moment. It doesn't matter what went on in the past; we are where we are. And I kind of agree with that to an extent. I know it kind of lets Celtic off the hook a bit. So I'm at the stage where. Obviously, we're all prepared for the season. Obviously, we're well behind where we should be. But I think when you look at a signing like Furuhashi that drops in the middle of the night and we're all waking up um, to this news that we've pulled the, the best player from, from Japan at the moment directly to Celtic, probably through Postacoglu primarily, I think that's a good thing and it should be commended. So it's difficult to know at the moment, but I'm, I'm more hopeful they're angry at Celtic at the moment. I don't want to ever go through another season like last season when you know like even now when I'm doing this Premiership Reels segment of Gigpod <laughs> still doing it <laughs> I'm still doing it and you know what we did one Hamish and the first few were alright and I'm just being completely honest with you guys see now I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it I'm sick of it I'm, you know, I'm trying to pitch a show <laughs> to people listening but I'm just being <laughs> honest it's it's really really um, unreal to, like, to, to, to cover those games and all the mistakes that were made and you're not just talking about three small mistakes they were like major ones I mean the Dubai debacle that was for the top down um, that was just you know just the Ferenc Faros at the start of the season all that and I really just hope I really just hope that this season we go into these games as strong as we can possibly be and you know what see in Tuesday night see if, if we get horse straight you know for talking sake I'll be far less angry about it if the manager just comes out and just takes accountability, responsibility, doesn't blame all these people and just comes out saying, yeah, here's why we lost and here's what we're going to do about it. Um, because I always remember we, what I really respected back in 2005, right? Gordon Strachan lost to Art Media, the 5-0 game. Yeah. And he immediately did come out and said, that's not going to happen again this season. Just trust me on it. And at the time, I was like, I very good, get out the door. But to be fair to him, he was right, it no, didn't no, happen no. again, uh, we very nearly salvaged it, so I really do hope that no matter what happens on Tuesday obviously hope we actually horse uh, Midgetland when we go through but I just really do hope that the Celtic fans um, don't go in two-footed if we if we get a bad result, that's it and I hope yeah. from the club no matter what, we got all the we don't get patronised as fans, we don't get talked yeah. down to, and we just get complete transparency. That's all we all three years were raging about last season with Celtic with the communication was abysmal. It was one of it was what they were terrible at and I just hope we get all the right messages from Celtic after it. If win, lose or draw, we just need to look like as a club, we're still going forward and we're not making the stu- stupid same mistakes like against Fed and Faros and that and certain players are getting blamed and certain aren't. It's just gotta be one collective glory or feeling I, th- I think and I hope I hope someone's told Ange this because I've, I've got a really big fear I, I totally agree with Steve I've got a really big fear that if something bad happens on Tuesday the club are going to try and step in and manage the message and it's just going to be the same old bullshit and it, fans are so sick of it and can just see right through it and and the last thing we need I think is Ange to be managed in that way so I hope someone 
in the club or, or someone close to Ange or the uh, Celtic has told them that the fans are craving you to be honest. They're craving you to come with a direct message. So don't change that no matter what happens. Because there'll be, I think there'd be a push from the club to kind of try and make the best of whatever happens on Tuesday. I mean, if we, if we get horsed on Tuesday, it hangs the club out to dry. There's just no way of getting around it. It hangs the board out to dry. It hangs Peter Lawwell out to dry. It hangs Neil Lennon out to dry. Like, it brings up all those issues from the past and there's no getting away from it. But the, the club have preached unity and moving forward together. But if they come out with the same old nonsense, it's just going to be a total morale killer for all the support, I think. And they, they can't manage Andrew on this scene. They just need to let him be his own man and let him say what the story is with regards to this in the moment and in the immediate future. That, that's how I feel about it. I think if this tie against Michelin doesn't go to plan, I, th- I think the vast majority of the anger will be aimed at the board for not supplying Ange with, you know, the right things for this tie. Um, mm-hmm. I just think this this first tie that we've got against Michelin is going to be absolutely huge for, for Postacoglu because if he can get off to a really positive start, then, you know, the, the goodwill we're feeling around the club will continue. I think generally there's a good feeling around Celtic at the moment. You only need to see that with the open mic uh, the the mic thing that that dropped on the um, the Twitter and the YouTube a couple of weeks ago, you know, the fans are enthused by seeing a new modern looking Celtic or a Celtic that's perceived to be modern looking. And you know, the way the the comments from Don McKay during that fan media press conference were, you know, taken in by supporters has been really positive too. So I think that if we can get a really good result and win this tie, that goodwill will continue. It could really, really set us back if it doesn't go well. But I just think that the anger will be directed at the board for now rather than Postacoglu. Now, when that anger would then turn to Postacoglu, I don't know if it would be if we didn't get a result at Tynecastle, whether it would be, you know, Ibrooks a few weeks later. But it's uh, it's a kind of thing we don't really want to look at because we'd rather be positive right now. But it is kind of hanging there, isn't it, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you. It is. And although, although I've come on here and gave my opinion that I've already, and I'm going to stick to it, that no matter what, I think Ange deserves a second season because of the mess of last season. And there's just so much to sort out, not just on the pitch, off the pitch, the way we deal with things, the way that the fans are treated, just everything Celtic have to completely remodel their entire operation as a football club and as a business. But yeah, I agree with you as well. I think one of the things as well, Hamish, is you're talking about like Hearts um, and Ibrooks. I think for this one, we certainly for this season under Ange, it's just a game-by-game thing for, for us now. Yeah. Like I don't think after you look at Celtic last season in Europe, never mind the league, Hamish, you look at our results, um, and we're already talking because we're three hopeful fans that want the best for the club, but realistically, you look at our results in the Europa League, and we can't go into these games going, hey, well, we should be beating you know, these this mob on Tuesday and everything, because the reality is after how we performed and how we acted on and off the pitch last season, we are rightly um, the underdogs for it, like a lump it, and it's the truth. And I think that's justified. So for myself this season, it is just purely a game-by-game thing. After we get this one out of the way, it'll be the second leg. Then after the second leg, it'll be the hearts game. And then week by week, it'll take care of itself. And I just hope week by week, what we're talking and what we're seeing is a work in progress and it's going the right way. And that's all I think we should be focusing on the now. Because if we start talking the now about 
Ibrox in the 29th without even knowing what our strongest defence is, without even knowing who our main focal point is in attack. You know, we could be, we, we don't know, we could be looking like idiots. And that's yeah. the last thing this wonderful podcast wants to be doing. <laughs> I think that's a good point. See, you're usually going into these seasons and you're planning out the title race and all that. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I'm not even thinking about reaching a group stage of Europe yet. I'm, I'm basically, all I want from Tuesday is to see a decent performance that kind of half shows me what the future might look like under Celtic, under Ange at Celtic. And it's a total progress thing. I mean, I agree with what you're saying about them getting a second season. But you, you would need to see some sort of tangible progress. I mean, I, I'm not saying we need to win the league. Um, although there are people out there that, that do think that. I'm not saying we need to win a trophy. Just want to see progress. I think, But I think you're right. Celtic are totally broken at the moment. They're just broken. Um, and anyone that thought it was going to take a couple of months to put back together was probably deluding themselves a little bit. It doesn't really work like that. This is going to be a slow process. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be highs and lows. And, and that's why I'm not like stressed out about us not having a right back for this game. Because if we don't have the right right back in the door right now, there's there's probably a reason for it. I mean, it's not... You know, I don't think that Celtic are going going out to hurt us by not signing a right back. So, I mean, the the kind of signing deadlines, etc., can almost be seen as a red herring. It's, it's a much longer game than that. It's, this season's going to be brutal and long and, and difficult. But, I mean, I, I, I do have to say again, you know, I do believe in Ange and I hope that what he says and, and what he does transfers itself onto the pitch because, you know, obviously at the moment we've, we've just not been able to see that. So we've got this tie against Meacheland. If if we win that, we're into the next round of Champions League qualifying. We'll have mm-hmm. two more rounds to win to get to the group stage. Probably more importantly, we will have assured ourselves qualification for Europa League group stage. On the flip side, if we go out against Meacheland, we are up against it big time to make the Europa League group stage because we won't be in the Champions route of qualifying anymore. We could face teams from the major countries. I would say we'd probably be outsiders to make the group stage. Um, the Conference League adds a third wheel to this thing that we're not quite sure exactly how you know that would go and whether Celtic would end up in there. But if it was a choice between, or not a choice, if, if this scenario came about that we weren't in Europe this season, given that domestic football is a priority and this season is one for building, do you think it would be a terrible thing if we only had domestic football to concentrate on this season, Stevie? No, I don't. Um, I would say that Europe this season for us could very well it could drive us or drain us. We just don't know yet because we still don't know what the squad's going to be like. We don't know what the attitude and mentality is like. But certainly as a fan now for myself, I just care strictly about seeing us dominate domestically again because mm. I thought, you know, I thought we were at that stage where we were so dominant domestically. But then you saw us in Europe and <laughs> we were just a shambles. I want to see Celtic being dominant domestically, but transferring that uh, that sort of performance and that sort of that, the performances domestically into Europe too. So you're seeing the same sort of uh, obviously in Europe we're not going to play teams like Hearts and Hibs and all that, but you want to still see us comfortable, um see away to Zenit, for example, uh, and not flustered the same way we are when we are playing like Tynecastle or something, you know. So no, I, I think, say, if we were to crash out of Europe, I'm using daily record part of here, but if we were to be knocked out and we just focused domestically and we were seeing, you know, like Celtic, let me catch your mind back to 05, 
06 again under Strachan out against Art Media. We all thought at the time, where did we go for here? Well, where did we go for there? Celtic just focused solely on the league. Um, we ended up winning a double. And okay, the, the Clyde one was a setback in January. That was a ridiculous result. But after the domestic double, when we could only focus on the league and we didn't need to feel sorry for ourselves, look at what happened after that. We then progressed into Europe and yeah. 06 07. We managed to get out of the group stage and then 07 08, we did the exact same, a very tough group. So hopefully we can do that under Ange and, you know, Strachan could survive that. I think Ange would be just fine to do it, especially when yeah. you look at it as well. Strachan did inherit a very decent side. Ange is inheriting, as John has said, a mess and Celtic were definitely broken and still are. And I think he would get, I think it would be, there'd be a lot of people forgiving him for Tuesday uh, if we did go out against this side on Tuesday and the return leg, of course. But that's just my opinion. I can't speak for the whole Celtic fan base. I think you think you're right though. I mean, Matt, yeah, as, I mean, as you say, Strachan didn't have European football. Matt O'Neill's side went out early in Europe. I mean, even Lennon's first season went out of Europe, didn't he? And then twice. Kind, yeah. yeah, and then it's like, I mean, that first season under Lennon, I know we didn't win the league, but it was one of the most entertaining seasons I can remember. I mean, it was it was thrilling. I don't even need European football to be entertained by Celtic. There's an element of all the financials and all the business side of things. But, you know, as a fan, I think I'm, I'm agreeing with Stevie. It wouldn't put me up nor down. It would maybe hamper or slow the progress of the club. But that's another that's another argument. That's another conversation. I think that the big focus again, I mean, even if you are thinking about that, the big focus again is the league because the, the winners of the league this year automatically go into next season's Champions League, which is a huge thing for Scottish football and for whatever club gets that. And, I don't want it to be the Rangers, obvious for obvious reasons, and it would be a magnificent if it could be Celtic. So, I think domestic football is definitely where it's at at the moment. Yeah, um, I think that's us, guys. Unless, unless you want to be chat about Dominic Mackay just briefly. Yeah, I'm. I'm still not sure what to make of Dom. Well, um, that's what that's what I was going to ask. Do you think we've we've seen any you know tangible signs of of his? Premiership, it sounds like the kind of word he would use. I think the biggest thing from from our perspective has just been the revamp of the media stuff. I mean, I think it's him who's driven this fan media thing, um, of course, which we've, we've been delighted to take part in. I think you do see some steps. I think there's kind of clearer messages coming out from the club in terms of the statements or things that are said on the official website. It's not all obfuscated behind some kind of ancient language. Um, through the office of Peter Lawwell, I think there has been a, a, a change in the tone and communication strategy. Um, that's the main thing I've seen so far. Obviously, they need to back up and follow up. Uh, for me, I thought Dom made a lot of big promises in that initial fan media event, and I know one of your questions was about that, kind of almost like he, in the lead-up to that event, he kept talking about modernisation. You asked him what modernisation means. He didn't really answer your question, Um He's good at that. He's good at kind of that that kind of double speaking and, and almost like a politician. And I know a lot of people yeah. have said that. At the same time, I've nothing against him. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. Um, I do think that he has inherited as much of a mess as as Ange has, and I think the club are broken in many ways beyond the football department. And I think if you spoke to a lot of people who work inside the club, I think they would tell you similar. Um, and I know we're making a lot of appointments on the media side now. Things are changing there. There's going to be B team reporter, women's team reporter, etc. 
So there are changes to be made, and and as you know, as Stevie alluded to earlier, about the we've we moaned and moaned about the communication from the club last season. It's a massive thing, and if we can change that at least in the initial stages, then that's a positive step. In terms of this long term pattern, the the restructure, the rebuild, I mean, that's very much we've not heard anything about that, um, and yeah, I'm a little bit worried that that's been rumbling on all year long pretty much before Neil Lennon left. And I know Mackay's only in the door since the start of July, but he had that three-month period where he was kind of in and around the club. So I want to see some tangible communication on the, the direction of the football department, and I, and I think we've, we've yet to see that. If that doesn't come by the autumn, by like October, November, I'm going to be very, very worried. But it's basically a wait-and-see job. He seems like a nice guy, but I'm a bit sceptical about some of the big claims he's making, is, is my opinion on that. The happy birthdays have gone. The on this days have gone. That's positive. I think in general the tone has changed from Celtic, but I'll go back to something one of you said earlier. It will be how they deal with a setback. He's not had a setback yet on the pitch, mainly because we've not been playing games. Let's see how the club react if it goes badly on, on Tuesday night or next Wednesday. Will we get the walls of silence we had last year from the club? Um, or will we get some sort of new... Um, way of perceiving Celtic that the support can buy into Stevie yeah. yeah I think I'm hoping on Tuesday of course that we'll see you know we're seeing positive communication and after a positive result so we're not all talking here hoping there's a setback so that we can then see what Celtic do of course just what but yeah after there's a setback the main thing is Hamish does not the silence because it was infuriating and last season I don't think the club realised it despite the shit show it was, see if they just came out and they said, yep, it was a sore one and frankly it was unacceptable. We will have to move on as naturally, but we do understand your frustrations, things like that and it was just getting ignored and I really hope that we don't see a return of any of that again. And one of the things I will say about Don McKay then you were asking, and I know that it's a very, you know, it's it's, it's scraping the barrel really in terms of targets, but, it, you know, I think when Rizzo put a question to him about fans getting back and he did say that he was in talks with the government at the time mm-hmm. and now we're going to get I still think it's he's actually managed to work it so that he's came out he was, he's doing the talking with the government he's got the fans access into the ground and now it's the Scottish government who are the ones looking a wee bit twisted in this one because they're only like 9,000 in to a 60,000 seat stadium. I hear me, I know this is your show but I just want to ask you guys' opinions on that one because I think that is utterly ludicrous. Um, I'm sure you guys agree uh, regarding our wonderful Scottish government who we have never criticised. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like I'm speaking in ignorance here, like I do think it's ridiculous. I gave up on following anything to do with the pandemic about a year ago because it was just doing me in. So I don't really know about, you know, the ins and outs of what's going on in Glasgow and all that nonsense. Um but yeah, no, I do think it's just stupid. It's stupid because when you look at events at Hamden and Murrayfield, I mean, you look even, you know, up in Aberdeen. I, I do believe it was made, you know, it's kind of like this local safety group, which I think is primarily Glasgow City Council. I think the government have even tried to wash their hands of this one. I'm, I'm not up on it, but I, I do agree we could have had more fans on the ground. Um, it's frustrating. I mean, you're just at this point, most people have had a jag, you know, everyone's wanting back into normality at some point. I mean, no one's going to be going crazy. Everyone's, even when you're out and about now, everyone's still kind of, 
taking it easy in, in, in most respects. I mean, the, nobody's crashing about who's going to be crashing about Celtic badly like an idiot, I don't think. Um, I think we could have done with more people in, in the stadium. I missed out on the ballot on Tuesday, um, and it's unfortunate, but, I mean, that is what it is. Uh, the thing I kind of struggle with is that at the moment with the plans in three weeks' time, we're meant to be going you know, away from level zero. We're meant to basically be going back to normal, uh, full Celtic Park. So the thing I don't understand is that why three weeks before would you not want to to quite literally, you know, test and, yeah. and get 20,000, maybe even 30,000 into Celtic Park, half capacity, and then have the opportunity to see whether cases rise, you know, as a result or whether that can be attributed to the matches at, at Celtic Park. I know certainly down south, they have found that uh, outdoor sporting events have a very small impact on a rise in cases. They've, they've found that and they've found that through testing. So I don't see why it would be any different here. I struggle with the, the way we're still talking about, you know, Celtic applied, I think, for uh, 18,000 and got half of that. And then in three weeks' time, we're meant to be going back to, to you know, full full crowds. I struggle with that idea, whether that date will be pushed back. I don't know. I hope not. Um, but it's it's still frustrating. But I suppose with many things with this pandemic, it's going to be gradual. And at least at least it's nine thousand and not eight thousand, or at least it's not two or three thousand like we had on Saturday. And I do have to say, like, I was up in Celtic Park. I was just passing um, by Celtic Park yesterday, um, and I honestly it was like it was nice to be there again. And I'd love to get back to the games, just like you guys, just like everybody who listens to this show. And I think that's just the main thing now. It's been far too long. And you understand there's difficulties in just getting into the ground, of course. But as you said, Hamish, yeah, I mean, it's getting to the point. We're only a few weeks away from Neil Lennon, yeah, quotes here, normality. But yeah, I mean, it's the sooner now rather than later. Because you've got to remember, people are now paying, losing out. Last season, people lost out on so much money because of what happened and not getting into the ground and you can't have a repeat this season people have to for the money they've and for the loyalty they've shown the club a lot of people in the government have to realize that and have you know they have to be allowed back into the stadiums and not just Celtic Park and talk about all the other grounds in Scottish football too it's a massive massive thing for this country and the sport and the sooner we're seeing all that the better because it will just the, the, I mean the players will feed off it as well Back, back yeah. to packed grounds. It's can you imagine going to like seeing Tyne Castle, even just half full on the thirty first of July? It's going to be a, a, such a buzz. That horrible, poisonous, hateful atmosphere. It's going to be fantastic again, and the players can thrive off it and hopefully put in some performance. And that's what we're all just delighted to hopeful to see again. Well, I think when we turn political, it's time to end the grand old podcast. So that was episode number 106. It's been great to to have it back. I uh, feel a little bit kind of disorientated with the whole thing because it's been that long. But uh, John, thanks very much. Cheers. Stevie, thanks for, for coming over to the grand old podcast Towers. Uh, thanks a lot for inviting me on for a start. As always, I love coming on this wonderful, wonderful show, which amazingly enough started um, right and saying around about the time Gig Pod started at the very start in 2016. It was, wasn't it? Within a week of each other. Yeah, well, we're, we're rivals from the start, right? We're, we're kind of reached out and went, I'm, we're starting this and you're starting this. That's, that's a bit weird that we're starting at the same time. But yeah, it, is. It's, it was five years ago now. It's weird. Yeah, we need to delete those old episodes, Hamish, because they're abysmal. 
We've both been away on several occasions, but we've returned <laughs> and we're ready to go again. Right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode. Uh, you can get us on all the various social media handles. You probably know what that is or what they are by now. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you.